Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, February 20th, 2022. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderbilt. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning into the Next Level. Good morning. And may I be the first to say, welcome to episode 222 on February 22nd, 2022. Whoa. Are you making that up? You couldn't make that up. Or episode 222 on 2-22-2022. Wow. It's a goocher. If you do it the non-American way where you put the day... First, like everybody else in the world, it's like what do you call those things where it's like yes. the same forwards and backwards? I forget what that's called. Yes. Twenty-two, yeah. There mm-hmm. you go, Matt. Dude, wow. Palindrome. It's a palindrome and something else at the same time. Crazy. Wow. That means this podcast is going to blow your mind. I was going to say it's only downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best part of the and, podcast. <laughs> and we are in chapter two of oh, Deuteronomy. Mm. Whoa, oh, gosh. Oh, what else? What else? <laughs> um, man, Sunday was fun. Mm-hmm. Sunday was fun. We had like 10 people on the platform and... We just needed more guitars. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so good. Lots of guitars up there. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, was. it was. I appreciate your hard work mm-hmm. on that. And that was a blast. I think everybody had a good time. And Did my mi- microphone pop? Nope. And that no popping. No I popping. Didn't, you didn't catch no any? No crackling. I didn't yeah. catch any. It's good. For months, we've been trying to figure out the pop in my microphone. So. And John is convinced that he that it pops in second service at a certain at time a, at eleven fifteen. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say eleven twenty two. Yeah. And so we we got a new system, and we were like sitting there just, just on pins no and needles, like here it comes, here it comes, mm. nothing. It's interesting. Beautiful. It's, it's when you try to problem solve those things that don't happen every single time, and it isn't always consistent. And you wind up changing this and changing this and changing this and changing this and finally you get to the root of it. Yeah. So it's good. So many interesting things happening in the background at church you don't even know about. I know. <laughs> <laughs> How's everybody or doing? Care about. Or yeah. care about, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big deals for us. <laughs> Guys, um, I, I want to tell you a story unrelated to church behind the scenes, if that's okay. Yeah. I just want to know if anybody's properly diagnosed a child through WebMD. <laughs> What's going on in your house? Properly diagnose anything. <laughs> At seven this morning, I was convinced Liv had this rare form of uncurable stomach <laughs> something wrong. Does she have stomach like, issues right now? She yeah, she has a bug, and she. So I've heard the norovirus. What is, is that going around? Oh, it's the carrying, uh, cruise ship virus. It's the it's the one that makes the you buffets. like really. Okay, um, well, she's been throwing up since yesterday yes, afternoon. Yes, I bet you it's it. It'll go quickly, but you all probably are going to get it. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, so, so I'm that's worse all than for today. right now. Yes. <laughs> well, this, so this morning, okay, so she slept with me. Anthony's out of town. Oh, she you're was going up down. all night. Oh. I, Asher was also, I don't ask me why, but I let both Asher and Liv sleep with me when Anthony's gone. It just saves me two kids putting them to bed. Okay, anyway. we'll, di- we'll diagnose yeah. this problem later. <laughs> Speaking of uh, fun and dysfunction. She's fine. I just want you to know. That's all the questions we have for you. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns. It was a scary moment. I, I thought I was going to take her to the ER. I really did. Aw. Yeah, uh, I know. Things, things, Aww, then stinks. I called the doctor. He was like, no, just give her a popsicle. Mm, that was it. Our family had, if, if it is this, and it may yeah. not be, I'm just, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about it because apparently District 200 or something had a, has had a number uh. of cases of it. And Carrie was like, oh no, I heard it. It's going around again. But we got it like sequent, like one kid got it. Wow. 48 hours. And like, we all just like do, 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 dropped. Oh. Yeah. Well. I won't say I'll too send close. You, I'll send you some links. Awesome. I, no, we're done. I've already, I, yeah. She's been miraculously healed. We're no longer going to the ER. Nice. Yes. Good. Yep. A popsicle, popsicle was the answer. Mm-hmm. And then when I got in the car to take my other kids to school, I had seven miles left before I ran out of gas. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Man, today's going great. <laughs> One of those days. <laughs> Anthony's in California. It's all good. It's hard to fill up these days. Anyway. All right, let's uh, let's get into some questions. First one up. It's true that Israel disobeyed God, but wasn't their primary problem one of unbelief? 
Hebrews 3.19 warns us not to have unbelieving hearts like Israel. Isn't chapter 2 of Deuteronomy speaking to that issue? Basically, isn't God saying, if you had only believed in me, you wouldn't have been like one of these other nations possessing your land already? Yeah, I, I think it's spot on to conclude that Israel, if Israel had believed in, they would have possessed the promised land earlier, without a doubt, that unbelief was a part Unbelief was core uh, to what Israel was struggling with. But the clearest indication of unbelief is disobedience. For example, Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Unbelief and turning away go hand in hand. Unbelief leads to sin. And the best way to know if we have unbelief is to look for sin in our lives. We can, we can simply ask God, uh, saying, Father, I see that I'm sinning. Help me with my unbelief. In other words, you can back it out, so to speak. And as a preacher, we can raise unbelief as the problem, and we should be doing that. And I, and I did my best to talk about doubt and fear that led to rebellion. But unbelief can be hard to detect on its own, is, is my point. If I say, are you guys, you know, congregation, are you struggling with unbelief? And then they're left saying, well, I don't know if I'm... So the best way, actually, I feel to diagnose unbelief is to look for disobedience. Any place you see disobedience in your life, you have an unbelief issue. You have an issue of um, doubting God's goodness, his favor, and it's leading to disobedience. So I think it's it's a fine question to ask. Uh, it's, it's good to point out that unbelief was at the root. You could say it was the root cause. Uh, but pastorally, uh, we, we address disobedience and then encourage people to believe. This, I think the, the pulpit work I was probably trying to do. Do you guys see a link in your own lives? Have you been able to do the work where you trace, oh, I'm disobedient in this area, and here is what I don't believe about God and his goodness or whatever the issue may be? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, th- I think the two are very closely, closely linked. I think um, the question asker is, um, is uh, I think rightly so, asking kind of what was the, the primary. Yeah. What really needs to get fixed? Yeah. And, and in that case, that, that, that might actually be, be yeah. true, yeah. that there was this unbelieving heart of the people and that, and then the actions clearly, you know, mimicked that, or or were an outgrowth of an unbelieving, unbelieving heart. I think seeing disobedience can be a symbol of unbelief. I think unbelief can lead to disobedience. I mean, the two are, as you said, very closely tied, linked together. Um, yeah. Think think as prayerlessness. Just take prayerlessness as an obvious. I mean. Uh, if we're prayerless, then we're failing to believe at some point, believe that God answers prayer, believe that God commands prayer, invites prayer, you know. So I, I do think it's a, it's a great opportunity when we see the nation of Israel balking at entering the promised land. Uh, that's their disobedience. But what are they not believing? Well, they're not believing that God can overcome the fortified cities and the giants in the land. And I I do think it is instructional to say, if you'd only believed in me, you would have been like one of these other nations and possessed your land already. I I think that's a great point. I don't know if God in his personality character is an an I told you so person. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if he's a a got you person. it feels a little shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that God is looking to shame us. Some of our actions are certainly shameful. Mm-hmm. I can be ashamed of my actions. Um, but I don't know that God is looking to shame us. I think he's looking for us to enjoy him and his presence and goodness. Yeah, I think we have to be careful with that because you don't want someone to draw this conclusion. These things are happening in my life. I must have been disobedient at some point and maybe I'm unaware of it and I'm suffering those consequences from it. Whereas I just don't see that lining up with the character Mm -hmm. of God. I mean, he's so full of grace, Mm -hmm. knowing that we're going to be disobedient, knowing that we're unintentionally going to form idols and love other things more than him. Mm -hmm. But it will never quench his grace for us. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a... I think it's a fine line. I, 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 would, I would never encourage someone to contemplate their life. What, ex, what are you experiencing that could you trace back to, dis, to disbelief or disobedience? Um, 
I think it's a, no, Do you know I, what I mean. Well, I think it's a good exercise. Right, right. I, I think to get if it's if you if it's if you get stuck in shame and guilt, then it's not very productive. Or thinking that if your it actions, leads you to grace, yes, as you were saying. Yes, right. Yes. I just don't want us to think that our actions are constantly like we have to earn something or we're going to have consequences from it. I think there's room um, when I think about my, you know, my issues that flare up every now and then. Like, I think there's room to say, no, I I still believe I'm just being (laughs) an expletive. Like, and it begins with unplugging from God. It begins with like, I'm not in this word every day. I'm not praying um, in with the same, uh, with the same intensity. I'm not, I, and I just, you start down that road and then things start to unravel. You start to question you. But if you mm-hmm. ask me in that moment, well, don't you believe that, that God is faithful and good and true and right? And, you know, if and be like, well, of course, you know, but I, I feel like sometimes when you unplug, if you speak, take that first step it can sort of spiral and that's when you find yourself in you know mental doubt in just about like you know, not doubt but um in mental um like disarray mm. you know like tension um there's no peace i find mm. that's what that's what i find for me um if i if i don't feel like and I'm not trying to say like, you know, a workspace thing, but mm-hmm. if I'm not engaging, um, I start to feel tension and unrest and nope and not peaceful mm-hmm. in my thoughts and, mm-hmm. you know, but even in those moments, if you asked like, do you believe it? I'd be like, well, yeah, of course. So I don't know. I don't know where the room is there to have, you know, or if it is a core of, uh, of unbelief, if, if you, if you would say, no, actually in that moment, you're not believing that is unbelief. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like on paper I would answer it correctly. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I think that disobedience betrays a an unbelief at some level. We're not we're not fully convinced of God's goodness, His character, His faithfulness. Um, but I don't think it's it's always that we act disobedient because we've knowingly discounted. Uh, uh, God's goodness. You know, I think some of it's very subtle, and there's a lot of emotion in it, and uh, temptation plays a role. And yeah. so. how do you stay diligent? Like, what are um, what are some of the things that you guys do to not? Because for me, it's like you take that first step, and then the next one's going to come, and then the right. next one's coming, and then all of a sudden, you've spent what feels like an eternity away from God, right. and you know that that's not what's good for you, and you know that, um, yeah. Like, how do you do? You guys have, I don't know. Yeah, I'm leading a group on Thursday nights uh, for men. It's been a fascinating journey. It's a new group that I've started, and there's there's just eight of us total in the group, and we're uh, praying for one another. It's it's a group aimed at restoration, and it's interesting. You know, there are some activities that cultivate uh, restoration or that preserve faith or produce faith. I, I think one of them is just gratitude, the discipline of gratitude. Uh, much of the sin in my life is fueled by thanklessness. I'm, I'm not contented, and uh, in my discontent, I, I pursue idols, or cultivate idols, give myself. So just things as simple. You, you ask diligence, how do, how do I remain faithful? Yeah. And one way to remain faithful is to recognize every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. It's James's words to us. And so God's a good gift giver and, and thankfulness is the appropriate posture to strike and it, it helps us stay faithful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's super practical. I find I get it. If rhythms, rhythms for me are really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I find like if I go through a season of like, oh, I'm watching movies late or whatever, reading late or what, staying up later than normal and then it throws my next morning off and I get out yeah. of a rhythm. Like the sweetest times in life for me with God have been when my rhythms are consistent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm coming in at the same time in the mornings. I'm waking up at the same time in the mornings. I'm doing the same routine. Mm-hmm. That helps me. When I get out of the routine, I can tend to, you know, wander. It's mm-hmm. good. All right, let's go to the next one. Um, how much is God choosing for us particular outcomes, and how much are we determining our own direction in life? Do we have free will, or is God choosing what happens to us every step of the way? 
We answer this question probably Pretty regularly. Mm. Yeah. Once every couple months. Yeah. And I, it's a great question. And uh, I'll just run through some stuff I've written down here. You guys feel free to chime in. I do not believe God is choosing everything that happens to us. In other words, I do not believe in what is called determinism, that, that we're fatalistic, determined. And I do not believe that we have free will, that is complete autonomy. Reality is, frankly, much more complex and more beautiful than either of those two polarities represent. In wrestling with this reality, what is, um, what is God sovereignly overseeing and what are we volitionally choosing? In wrestling with this question, we must first admit that not all choices are equally available to us. Here's what I mean. We have volitional ability. We're willful creatures that can choose a course and act in certain ways. And there are a bunch of constraints on us, things we cannot choose. Here's what I mean. When I ask about, when we ask about uh, free will, we often mistakenly equate all possible options as equally available to us, and that's simply not reality. Our freedom in selecting what to eat for breakfast, for example, is not the same as our freedom in selecting the college we attend. Uh, Braden's in the college selection process right now, and he's making choices as best he can, but not all possible choices are open to him. Mm -hmm. For example, I can eat virtually anything I want for breakfast. I'm um, I'm well suited in life and can choose my own breakfast, <laughs> right? I've got that freedom. Uh, but I could never have chosen to attend Harvard. I have the freedom to apply to Harvard as an undergrad, even as a grad student now. But there's no way I was actually going to be considered as a possible student there. Why? Because my test scores were too low, my grades were too low, my diligence in study was lacking. I'll put, I'll be very frank here. I don't have what it takes to go to an Ivy League school. And Americans don't like to hear that. But I'll be really honest with you. I'm never going to be 6'3". <laughs> and for some reason, we accept physical limitations and then we balk at other limitations. I am not the sharpest pin in the box. I'm just not. I have a limited IQ. I've been given a certain range of understanding and EQ. And going to an Ivy League school wasn't in the cards for me. So here's reality. I'm free to choose a college. The number of colleges I can choose from is limited by, by factors I cannot overcome. In this sense, I am both free and constrained. I have freedom in the world, but I'm not free to choose without constraints. I couldn't have gone to an Ivy League school in much the way, same way I'll never. I can't be 6'3". I can't run a 40-yard dash in under five seconds. Eight seconds, 10 seconds, <laughs> right? I have some level of freedom and I have a lot of constraints. There are literally an infinite number of things we cannot choose. When I taught a philosophy class over at COD, we, went, we spent a whole class listing what was outside our control. Things that we could not overcome. Because you think there's probably not a demographic who wants to be free and think they're free more than college kids. And just to put on the board things that were outside their control, they cannot control, cannot activate volitionally and overcome. It's stunning. So do they get, do they, do they get all upset in that class and then finally come to it's a little, terms? It's a little depressing, mm -hmm. but yeah. it's also super freeing mm -hmm. because you know, one of the lies my mother told me, and she listens to this sometimes, <laughs> but all American mothers tell their children this lie. You, you can, can be, be anything, anything you want when you grow up. <laughs> Folks, I would never, I cannot be an accountant. I can't. I'm not wired for it or gifted for it. Well, right. you mean you can, but you might not be American. Okay, I well, so I would say, would if you don't make any money. I was, being a, I was being a punk, but like I would say this to my aunt, because my aunt used to say that like Thanksgiving dinner, you know, you kids can be anything you want. And I would say, I can't be the center for the Los Angeles exactly. Lakers. Right. I don't care how much I, I work on basketball. And we giggle at that, but the same is true academically, emotionally. We have limits. And spiritually and spiritually. So here, guys. Jesus, the most brilliant teacher that ever walked on the earth, knowingly chose a metaphor for spiritual growth, and he compared it to biological birth. 
No one listening to this podcast chose to be born. It was outside our control. It was foisted on us. Existence was. You didn't choose it. And Jesus said, you must be born again. He compared new birth in faith to biological birth. And so we don't like the message of it, but Jesus said we must be born again. He didn't say you should or you ought, you must. And so the born again experience is something God is doing to us and for us, which isn't to say we don't participate, we participate. I participate in life and I have constraints. Both are true. To be saved, God must act. And all our actions will be judged by God. That is reality. What do you guys think? (laughs) It's a passion point of mine. I think you covered it well. Nailed it. Do you guys think... I just, I, I don't know that we serve. I don't, I'm, I don't feel like American culture serves its youth well because we act as if all possibilities are available to us. But if you have a kid with disabilities, you know immediately what I'm talking about. And the truth is, I have, I have limits. But... Maybe the maybe the um, motivation for that is to give to not limit our vision and hope for what could be because a lot of times we don't push ourselves far enough or we don't think or dream big enough. So maybe it comes from the standpoint of don't limit your belief of what God could do or in you or through yeah, you. I'm and sure so the motivations of mothers and dads are great. My mm-hmm. mom's the greatest. <laughs> she meant well. Yeah. It, I don't think you'll ever. But I started at Wheaton as pre med. I had no business being pre-med. Isn't that like 80% of all <laughs> incoming wheat and college students? If you met me in the ER, <laughs> you hit organic chemistry and it was like, <laughs> I, I mean, was out. that time wasted? Do you, do you, <laughs> was think, that, yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, there's this, it, it's, it's, um, it's dangerous to tell a kid you can be anything you absolutely want to be it's also dangerous to tell a kid, don't worry about anything. God has it all planned out for Yo, you. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yep. So amen. we need to be really careful of the two extremes. So mm-hmm. what do we tell our kids? We, I tell my kids, you can be everything God has gifted and called you to be. Mm-hmm. You just answered I, your own question. Yeah. It's not a fair question when you answer it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, we tell them, um, we tell them, you know, cause you know, we homeschool and we homeschool pre COVID and all that. And it has its challenges, right? So, you know, they're sitting there in the living room. So they the, really can't be anything they want to be. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. no, it's like, a joke. It's just a joke. Oh, of course, no, of course. We all know homeschool kids are much smarter. So, <laughs> and much more disciplined. No, we tell them, like, look, dude, like, you, you need to work hard. The harder you work, the more options in life you will have. The less hard you work in life, the less options you will have. So if you choose to not work hard, when you get older and it's time to you know, choose your career path, you will have X amount of paths. If you work harder, you'll have more, which usually means you know, you'll end up- I think that's enjo- excellent. You'll I end up enjoying what you word. do. You, you'll end up with a higher likelihood of enjoying what you do, the more options you have. Mm-hmm. That's Generally how we speaking, we get out what we put in. You work hard, more doors open. I think that's a great message yeah. to kids. I think there's a time too to help your kid, your kid find out what they are gifted, mm-hmm. called in. You know, we spend a lot of time in the educational process. We, meaning not me and Carrie, but we as a society, on making sure your English is an A, your math is an A, your science is an A, yeah. your band is an A, your and all these kinds of things. And largely, kids can do the work yeah. if they're disciplined enough. Mm-hmm have enough resources around them to get those marks. But there's Should a they? point, there's a point where you need to say, you are not a math person. Mm-hmm. Like right. it's rare that mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. is math, English, science. Yeah. I mean, those are Equally, anomalies. And so right. we've, we've, you know, we're getting into that point, junior high and then into high school where it's like, Hey, it's okay to just do algebra one and two. You're really gifted in the, the, in English and read, you know, Grow in that. That's clearly mm-hmm. where you're, 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 your you're, we found your strengths. Let's pour into the strengths mm-hmm. instead of worrying about getting your weakness 
buttressed right? just to be yeah. this you know as strong as Love everything it. else yeah. in your life and so there's comes you know a point in that process where you start to look at your kids and see what they're I love the conversation. What do you believe God's gifted you and called you to do? Mm -hmm. Because that speaks to faithfulness and in America prizes excellence. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're, you're talking about, well, you got to be excellent in all subjects. No, I have to answer God's call on my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have to be faithful. And there's a level of, you know, educational, you know, responsibility and all those kinds of things. Don't, Oh, you don't like math. (laughs) doesn't mean, <laughs> right. or you don't like your teacher yeah. or whatever, but at this, you know. Yeah. Go ahead, Simone. I was going to say, you just you also can't discount the developmental process of a kid learning to dream and think big. Oh, and totally. That's, that, that's why we say you can be anything you want. Like, you're giving them permission to think outside of what their imagination has allowed them to up to that point mm-hmm. either. So they'll, they'll come a point where they get to the realization that they're not good at something and and people, you know, people bash America and the American dream and all that kind of stuff. But this is a big part of what makes us mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. as yeah. a country mm-hmm. and stand yeah. out is like, mm-hmm. I mean, when I visit with people and I mm-hmm. were just overseas for a while, it's like uh, the American courage mm-hmm. to dream and try mm-hmm. and, and be built out of failure mm-hmm. for trying things like that's mm-hmm. just a huge part of mm-hmm. the, of the beauty of who we are. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Clearly we're not, but there's something about who we are, the fabric of mm-hmm. our society that's about well, it, trying I read, and dreaming. Well, and, I read something, you know, that type of spirit, the entrepreneurial take a risk spirit is very, while it's beautiful, it has its downsides too. And so I, who, we don't need to, hey, let me bring this back to spiritual, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so there may be somebody out there saying, well, if God is saving me and judging me according to my actions. If both are true, if we're constrained and God is bringing to new life all those that he wants to trust in Christ and I'm going to be judged for my actions because I'm a volitional creature, then what is my hope? Well, our hope is in God's goodness, his character. If, you have, if you're listening and you, you have a desire to be born again, if you have a desire to know God, he's placed that in your heart already. Mm-hmm. That's an indication he's at work in you. Don't let your heart grow hard that some things are outside of your control. I don't get bitter anymore that I'm not 6'3". There was a season in my life I was not happy about my height. So, I'm sorry, Kelly. I no. know. Someone told you you could be a basketball player. I know. So, <laughs> I just I can't get past um, Matt being the center of the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I was out there every day. Balling. 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 <laughs> Trying to post up. Tell him. <laughs> Give it to me. Feed it to me. Feed it to me. Right, right. Feed it to me. No, no, no. No good. No good. It's no good. Give it back. Give it back. I feel okay, like no, Kelly it was going to say something really important. <laughs> he okay, was. Sorry. He got caught in his words. So I had to, uh, I'm on the... He got so if, I had to my seat. Don't, don't let your heart grow hard. If you, when you learn that being born again is outside control, if you have a desire to be born again, that is a part of the process of the Lord drawing you to new life in Christ. Cry out to him and say, yes, I want to be born again. That's why Matthew 7 says, and 7, 7 says, ask, seek, knock. Everyone who asks receives, everyone. And so I would encourage you, uh, the very warning against Israel was they, they both saw that they were volitional creatures who had to enter the land and be active and that God was going to give to them. There's this dual reality here. God had chosen them. Uh, we'll get into this in a minute. Apart from anything that they had done, he had called them out of Egypt. It's a birthing metaphor. He called them out. They actually passed through the waters. It's a whole birthing picture. And then they go into the promised land. They're, they go from infancy into adulthood and there's this transitional phase. Anyway, don't let your heart grow hard to learn that there are constraints on your life, that the American culture hasn't served you well. Uh, agree with biblical reality and cry out to the Lord for salvation. Hmm. How, do you, how do you feel about Acts 17? So I'll, I'll just read a little bit of it. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Um, do, you take that, do you take that verse to mean that God has our coordinates uh, planned out 
for our lives of where we'll be, where we'll live. Which verse is it? Uh, Acts, it's 17, like, you know, 25 through um, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. I, yeah, love that I don't want to do anything thing theologically that diminishes the omniscience of God. So I don't want to make any theological. So I have a, a priority or there's a primacy in my worldview that said, says God knows everything uh, and gives charge. And I still have responsibility. God, God knows that I wanted to eat a bag of Oreo cookies last night, a whole bag. And I'll be held responsible for that. Kind of feel like there's a little confession. Right there. <laughs> in, in other words, I don't see competition between his omniscience and my volition. Is that what you're asking? Well, yeah, I, I don't take this verse as like God knew where we would live. I, I take this verse as God is appointing when we will, when we will live mm-hmm. and where we will live. Now, I think there's room in where we will live to make our own decisions. Maybe it means Matt is going to live in this country or in this state or region or whatever. I don't know. I think there's, but I, I have a hard time reading that verse and not, not interpreting it as, you know, God is, um, God is uh, giving you some, I don't want to use the word constraints, but he's, God is giving you parameters for your life automatically yeah, getting back, so, yeah. getting back to the beginning of this question, yeah. you know, free will, not free will. It's like, yeah. you know, yes. The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Free will, not free will. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we could go, Paul, we could yeah. dissect act 17, but right. you know, I think we need to look at the audience and the context of what Paul's doing in that agree in that setting. I mean, he's right? arguing it, from it, general to specific. Yeah, and he's right. He's comparing God, who is not uh, created and established by humans, which the other gods in Athens, where he's although right, he's making some really big distinctions, like on this yes. broad level, um, answering their questions about well, who is this unknown God? How does he operate? What does he look like? What because they've already answered all those questions for their other gods, right? And he's saying, yeah, good luck, basically. <laughs> you can't create him. He has created you. He establishes you. Your time. You breathe yeah. because of him. You you know, mm-hmm. rather than having something they created. So, yeah, it's interesting. I just thought about that verse because I, I have seen a lot of people throw that verse around. Oh, with totally. Talking about you know, God has determined the exact moment where you will live, or, you know, when you live and where you will live, and yeah, you know, I, well, sometimes we, I th- I feel like it can be overstated. Yeah, some, sometimes and we don't to make a point, but I think in general, for me, I I'm 100 percent fine operating under the right. with that being true, like that God did want me here at this church at this time and you know you know for god to be just in these judgments of us there there has to be real volition involved and so we we can't we have to maintain a theology that admits we're finite follow me Mm -hmm. here we don't know the mind of god we are not god it seems like such a an obvious statement but it's a really important one we are finite in our understanding but there is some way in which he is both omniscient, knowing all outcomes, and sovereignly in control of all things, and uh, we have real choices we can make for which we will be judged. Both are true. Mm-hmm. And, and my finiteness prevents me from, from fully knowing how they're both true. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go uh, to the next one. This is a good question. In selecting Israel, why did he choose not to select others? Yeah, I couldn't, uh, wrestling with this, I couldn't think of any scripture that gave an affirmation. Here's why Israel was selected. Mm -hmm. In fact, when Abram's called out of Ur, he's actually a a uh, pagan worshiper. He's, he doesn't worship Yahweh. He may have worshiped Yahweh as one of many deities, uh, but he's worshiping other gods. We learned that, I think it's in the book of Joshua or Judges. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can't remember an affirmation of why he chose them except to show them his love. He certainly could have done that with the Edomites, Moabites. But there are several comments throughout scripture about why he did not choose Israel. He did not choose them because they were more numerous. 
that they were prolific and impressive in their size. It's Deuteronomy 7.7. And he did not choose them because they were righteous, Deuteronomy uh, 9.5. And he did not choose them because of their integrity, particularly moral. (laughs) Um, So I don't know why he chose them. I know what was not integrated into the selection process, their size, uh, their moral character, these weren't driving factors. And, and frankly, it's a beautiful picture of what I understand to be the gospel's reality for us in the 21st century. We are chosen apart from anything that we've done or will do, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Chosen only because God wills to show us his love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved it, though. Um, the clear indication in chapter 2 that Edom and Moab and Ammon were cared for by God to a certain degree that he had moved them into the place he wanted them and I love that Mm -hmm. and we're about to enter this week a a more difficult season in which he is driving certain peoples out of their land Mm -hmm. and the notion of holy war and does God have the the right to do that and and who is Israel that he should use Israel Mm -hmm. to drive Mm -hmm. other nations out yeah. Can I just say that as you're as you're sharing this, first of all, it's just so beautiful. I love how you draw the the gospel reality out out of this question. And I think to myself, there is no rhyme or reason why God chose me. I did not come up from I did not grow up in a Christian family. I had never been to church occasionally here and there. I didn't have any Christian influence. I mean, it was literally I went to church out of the blue because someone invited me and I gave my life to Jesus. It makes no sense. And I think someone could ask the same thing about Simone. How, why did God choose her? Like there's no there's no explanation. There's no history there. There's no there's, well, she, there's no human understanding yeah, that makes sense of it. Right. But yet it it fuels my faith all the more for whatever mm. reason he put his hand on me and said mm. I choose you and it gives me just confidence in him and that this my salvation is based solely on him mm. and his his desire to love me the way I was and the way I am, nothing that I had done, no praying grandparents for generations before. I mean, I love those stories and those are, those are amazing stories. That's just not mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I feel so encouraged that this question was even asked and how you answered it thinking it doesn't have to make sense. And look, I just had to say, and look at how God has used you. Mm-hmm. Oh, Can you imagine God's what he knew he was doing Mm. when your friend or whoever invited you Mm -hmm. to church and the plan that he had laid out, like that goes back to what we were just talking about, right? Like how beautiful Mm -hmm. is that? Like, yeah, you chose to go to church Mm -hmm. and you chose to, you know, Mm -hmm. go with your friend, say yes. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me dig a little deeper. If Simone were under the impression that she had somehow merited it, the burden Mm -hmm. to live up to that would be crushing, Mm -hmm. crushing. Mm -hmm. It does. no, go ahead. Go sorry. ahead. I was just going to say, you're right. It gives so much freedom knowing I had nothing to do with it. And I feel so, I feel so chosen on one level. Just, um, it's a vast opportunity. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of pressure. This is a no-lose proposition. Totally. And it also takes a ton of pressure as a parent to think, well, I mean, I'm doing the best I can, but you're on your own, you know, mm-hmm. or the Lord knows I can't, yeah. you know, there, there's a, that takes that pressure off just in general to think that we have any control or say. Of late, I've been so blessed by the easy yoke light burden, and I yeah. spend lots of days thinking about, am I carrying the heavy yoke or the light yoke? Mm-hmm. What has what Jesus invited me to, and what is the nature of the, the light burden? And when we think we've merited his favor in some way, that is a crushing burden, mm-hmm. because then we have to maintain mm-hmm. his favor, mm-hmm. and it just drives us into the mm-hmm. ground. We can't do it. But when we have the distinct understanding that he chose us apart from anything that we do, then it's just limitless freedom to fail and mm-hmm. give and live life with great abandon and, and be relaxed. And, and I love Paul said somewhere, I'm drawing a blank on where he, he said, if there be anything different in you, the Holy Spirit will point that out. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually the Holy Spirit that brings conviction in my life when I get off track and I daily get off track. It's just, there's just a lot of freedom mm-hmm. in the easy yoke. I do think, um, I know there's some in our community and in our church that wrestle with the merit stuff that like, am I, that I have to earn my salvation, you know, especially those with um, some kind of Catholic connection kind of wrestle with that. What I think 
others wrestle with, and, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I, I do think that there's the question of our participation mm-hmm. is where people get caught up often is, um, you know, is because it can paint God in a um, sort of a, a puppeteer mm-hmm. or a, you know, um, that he does whatever he, he wants. We're just, you know, pawns in a cosmic scheme. I mean, all these things because there is a level of participation. We're, we're active in our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are, when you say, I gave my life to Jesus, well, you mm-hmm. did or did he take it? Right, right. So where that, we use some phraseology mm-hmm. and some of those sorts of things. And, and that's where we, um, there is, I think you said it, there's a beautiful mystery or something like that of, of you know, we, we talk about giving our lives to Christ yet. Are mm-hmm. we actually, can, do we actually have the power mm-hmm. to withhold mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. So, we, but there is this a part of act, activeness and participation that goes along with um, when we say, I said yes to Jesus, I know what you mean and what you're saying. Um, because we say yes to him all, in all sorts of different times and different ways and, and things like that. So it, it, it's, a, it's a tension. I'm just calling it out mm-hmm. to say, if you feel that, like, yeah, I don't feel like I'm meriting my salvation, but I kind of want to know how I'm involved in the process, mm-hmm. um, you know, that there's, that's, an, it, that's a normal wrestling, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. And it's an age-old wrestling. Oh, I mean, yeah. Augustine had phraseology around the, the sovereignty of God, the volition of man, and, and how those two intersected. He had a, a staging of what we are capable of doing. Um, and so before the fall, it was we were able not to sin. Of course, man chose to sin. After the fall, we're not able not to sin. Yeah. And then once we're regenerate, that is the theological word for being born again, we're not... We're, not we're able not to sin Mm -hmm. we can choose and so there is the right participation Mm -hmm. yeah we're called to um and there's the you know repent well where does repentance come from there Mm -hmm. are desire to repent comes from god and yet we're actively Mm -hmm. have to have to called to repent right we act we Mm -hmm. actively have to repent and turn and so it it isn't just pawns in a cosmic Mm -hmm. scheme yet and on the other extreme it's not um you know, it's not people forcing God, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I was just going to add one of the things I took from Sunday's message when you talked about the history of Israel was um, this comfort knowing, and I shared this a little bit with our small group the other night. This just comfort knowing that God's um, plan for salvation for people and a people group or an individual like myself is not. It's, it's consistent. I mean, mm. he knew that Israel would wander and disobey yeah. and, and build idols and take me back to Egypt. I mm-hmm. still can't believe that they actually said that. Mm. But, but that's so true to us even today. So I just was encouraged thinking, his, he's faithful. His, he's been consistent knowing that he is, he is you know. That humanity is terribly yeah. inconsistent. Exactly. Well, <laughs> we're consistently inconsistent. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was a takeaway for me. I just wanted to point that out. Hey, everybody, wanted to give you a quick heads up. This Sunday, we'll be kicking off our Red Envelope Project, which is a fundraiser for our student missions trips. This year, we have over 100 students going on missions trips uh, to the DR, to Denver, to Chicago, and they are raising funds to make that happen. So this Sunday, uh, there'll be an announcement from the front about Red Envelope Project, and then you can head to the gym and be a part of that, uh, that fundraising effort. So we're looking forward to kicking it off this Sunday and uh, would love for you to be a part of it. All right, let's go to our last one. Would you talk more about what you mean when you say God doesn't play favorites? I am thinking about the concept of election. Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hated. And other verses like greetings, you who are highly favored. Yeah, I'll take the easiest one first here. When Mary is met by Gabriel and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, I think that's just, um, it's a greeting of a of acknowledgement of her special selection to service. Um, I don't think it, it has um, in particular um, a, um, a weight or a gravity around um, her being saved per se, but it's, it's an acknowledgement of the role and the unique role she'll play uh, in salvation history and um, 
you know, the Catholics are going to make much more of her role than the Protestants are going to make. Um, so, but I just, I think that greeting is one acknowledging her special selection to service. Mm. You know, uh, more troubling and a lot more uh, to wrestle with is the Old Testament verse in uh, Malachi uh, chapter one, verses two and three, in which the the prophet speaking for God says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. And then that's quoted again in Romans chapter nine, as Paul is describing the sovereignty of God in salvation. So these are, these are um, uh, commentaries on God's work in saving humanity. And in, in Romans nine, um, Paul quotes from Malachi, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And we're, we're stuck asking the question, well, if God is love, how could he hate anybody? So 1 John chapter 4 clearly says God is loving. So what is this commentary on God hating Esau? And so considering the context, I would say God loving Jacob and hating Esau has nothing to do with the human emotions that we associate with the words love and hate. I have most often heard this expressed as God chose Jacob and rejected Esau in covenantal history, the roles they would play. It was Jacob, the younger, who was selected uh, to play uh, a key role in redemptive history. Esau, the older, who, who had birthright primacy, was rejected. And so I think too often we fall into the trap of saying, hate, well, there's a lot of emotion there, uh, or that's an emotionally loaded word for us. And I don't think that's what's going on there. I think it is God selecting to work through Jacob and rejecting Esau uh, for redemp his, this role, this key role in redemptive history. What do you guys think? John, you had written some notes down. Yeah, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think in, in, um, when I heard you say, or when I hear people say God doesn't play favorites, I take that to mean he's not playing favorites like we play favorites, like man yeah. choosing somebody because of unfairly, right? Yeah, unfairly because I like that person or for some you know arbitrary I reason. I you know I've always pictured as the cosmic kickball selection, it, right? Who's going to be on the teams and who's locked mm. out? I don't think what you were saying was that God doesn't choose somebody over somebody else. Oh. No, that's <laughs> but I think that's where you Gosh, can get communications lo- hard. You mm. can get lost is because <laughs> we need to we need to recognize that God clearly picked Israel. Yeah, He chose them. Yeah. He For dwelt service. with them. Yeah. He built a tabernacle to to be in their midst. He led them led them with a pillar of fire and smoke and or cloud right. and and so he 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 clearly chose them, favored them over other nations for their special service to bring to bring the Messiah. That there were others that weren't chosen, not favored, and then Israel that was chosen and was favored. Um, and I think he did that in his, his wisdom that we don't fully comprehend. To go back to the previous question, why didn't others get chosen? Right. Well, it's, it was his wisdom, it's in his righteousness, it's in his justice that Israel was chosen and others were not and that he he had special favor um, for them. But I think what was cool about Deuteronomy 2, which I think you rightly pulled out, was this caring of of those other nations in a unique in a unique way. And I, I think it was beautifully tied to Psalm 24 where we we see God saying, everything in the earth is mine. The world and all its inhabitants are in yeah, uh, world and all its people are mine. Yeah. There's n- there's nothing outside of this, and man, it gets tricky because Israel's about to destroy some people mm-hmm. to move into the land. Yep, and so you know clearly there's some some question that can be raised about what God is doing, but we don't clearly know why Abraham was chosen in terms of anything about him to build the the nation from him mm-hmm. he was chosen for special blessing and mm-hmm. special service clearly and somebody else wasn't yeah <laughs> right. many other people yeah. were not. <laughs> right and so god does play favorites in that sense he does make choices yes and he has the right to do so he's, right he's about to dispossess all these nations from right. canaan right 
And we see him doing, I think, I mean, we've been studying a little bit of this in a, in a group I'm in, but the unique choosing of God throughout the scriptural narrative, he doesn't pick what you logically or culturally is the right move. Perceivably by humans. By yeah. Hu- yeah. yeah, so he picked Jacob. So when <laughs> yeah, Israel right. goes, right. we are a people from who? Well, you are only a people from God because Esau should have had it. Yeah. Um, he picks you know, David mm-hmm. instead of all his brothers, and he picks David instead of Saul. Saul was the first king, and God turned his favor from him, yeah. and he, he gave it to, to David. I mean, there's, there is this going on. What I think the danger is is for us to put, human, uh, put our humanness on God mm-hmm. and saying he's doing something in an unfair way. <laughs> way mm-hmm. just like we do mm-hmm. by picking a favorite we don't like that feeling right we don't like how that sounds um, there is a choosing there is a selecting there is a favor given to someone uh, because of God's will justice righteousness that we don't always fully comprehend and it's the same in salvation right this person that said the, I'm thinking of election mm-hmm. why are some yes, saved right. and why are some not right. why right. was Israel Selected. Favored. Yep. Why are we favored if we're saved and others are not favored? And again, when we don't know the answer to a question, and you've just asked a question that we don't know the answer to, we, we don't know why hell is populated mm-hmm. by those it's, that are there. We don't know. I mean, God could save anybody, and he saved me apart from anything I've done. So why is hell populated? When we don't, when we come to the edge of our finiteness and we're ready to admit we're not God, then we have, then we have to trust. And what are we trusting in? We're trusting in his character. We're not trusting in our knowledge. Every religion on the globe comes to a place where they say, that's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference with Christianity. In the mystery, when we admit we don't know something, what we stand firmly on is the character of God, his good, loving, and demonstrated character in the person of Christ who gave himself sacrificially. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's true. We don't know why Israel was selected. And, and we know that God is impartial. He doesn't play favorites. But it's true that hell is populated. So we rest in the knowledge that our God is good and that the selection of Israel... And the saving of some will prove just and fair in the end. Yeah. It's good. It's a good place to end. That's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Max Level Podcast at 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We, leave, we love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to The Next Level. Boom! Prophecy.